Well, as I said before, Merry Christmas. It's really neat that Christmas fell on a Sunday and that we actually got to have service together. I know a lot of us started Christmas this morning, right? Our traditions, the things we love to do. We started it and then we came here to worship. And I know we'll get back to it. At least that's what my family's doing. We only did a small portion this morning. And um, I really wanted our focus and our hearts to be on this service and what's happening here now. And we can focus on the other later. And I'm sure that's where your hearts are too. You know, we can preach Mary and Joseph. We can preach the shepherds. We can preach the angels. We can preach the wise men, and we have. But it's interesting, no matter how I look at it or how you look at the Scripture, Jesus Christ is involved in every part of that story. Whether we're talking angels, shepherds, wise men, Jesus Christ is the object of every story. And that's exactly how it should be. Uh, If you're not there yet, turn in your Bibles, please, to Galatians 4. You may be thinking, Pastor Mark, why are we in a a letter from Paul? Why are we in an epistle? Shouldn't we be in Luke or Matthew? Well, I've tried to take some different angles and approaches this season to Christmas, and I think we've done a very good job with our focus on that. And we've covered the story, the big picture of Christmas. We've covered who came, the Savior, Christ the Lord. You know, we've covered the seeking and the worship, just as the wise men did. So, we've covered the story. We know the story. And I wanted to take it from a different angle this morning. I wanted to take it from Paul presenting the story. This would be much later on. So, look in your Bibles to Galatians 4, and I want to start in verse 3. And there is a purpose for this. Look at verse 3. In the same way, we also... When we were children, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. This is huge. Today we are talking about the fullness of time. Have you? The other day I had to make uh, my youngest daughter ramen, which is a food staple in our house, ramen. And the problem with ramen is you have to boil water. No, a lot of you know me, I'm kind of impatient and I'm not very good in the kitchen. So having to wait for a pot of water to boil, I watch it. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Bubble already. Drives me insane. But I'm watching this water, the boil, come to a boil, and it said, wow, that took forever. And I was like, well, Mark, it really didn't take forever. You're, you know, it's a little hyperbole, a little figure of speech there. So in the same sense, though, I thought, wow, we must look at God sometimes as, hey, when is he going to do this? When is God going to do that? Just like I stared, you know, stared at this pot of water. So no matter how impatient we get, though, and this is what dawned on me, no matter how impatient we get in this world, God will do things in His time, and in His time equates to the right time. God's timing 
is always the right time. Now, if you've been in your Christian walk for some time and you've studied Scripture, maybe you're like me. I have questions for God. Now, I'm not questioning God. Don't take this the wrong way. I'm not interrogating God. I have simple questions that I'd like to ask him. You remember the game that you used to play as kids? If you could have lunch with anybody, dead or alive, who would you have lunch with? What would you ask them? I have questions. There's things I want to understand when I get to heaven. And maybe that's what eternity's for, that we all get their time to ask God these questions. Maybe when we're glorified, we just know. I don't know how it works yet. But I've always had this question. Since the beginning of humanity, we're talking the creation of Adam, to today, December 25th, 2022, why right then? Why right then? Why at that specific time did Jesus enter this world? And why at the specific time did he start his ministry? And then why did his life, why did he give up his life? Yeah, he gave it up. Why did he give up his life then? And how come three days in the tomb? I have all these wonderful questions, but all of it boils down to one thing. God, why in that time? And Paul is speaking to the churches. Now, there's many churches. When we talk about the Galatian churches, you're talking about many churches in Galatia. This, this letter would have been circulated. And he's talking to the Galatians, and he's saying the fullness of time. He brings up, and I love that. By the way, just so you know from here on out, the fullness of time for me is the same thing as Christmas. It's the same thing as Christmas. So just as water boils at the right temperature, and we know that, it's a fact, just as water boils at the right temperature, God sent his son into this world at the right time. God was not early. God was not late. He was right on time. And that made me realize God is always on time for everything. So I picked, yeah, Glory, you're absolutely right. I picked some characters from Scripture. Joseph was sold into slavery in the Old Testament. Joseph was sold into slavery, imprisoned, and at the right appointed time, he became the second most powerful man in, in Egypt in God's time. Not before, right? Not later. Perfect timing. Moses, Moses fled Egypt. He would shepherd for another 40 years, folks. But then God's perfect timing, he said, here's what's going to happen. You're going back. God's time. And when Moses led them out, the nation of Israel, guess what? They were stuck literally between a rock and a hard place. That hard place was the Red Sea. Again, God parted the water exactly at the right time. And then when the enemy was in there, he closed the water exactly at the right time. John the Baptist, you know, he was born just before Jesus, if you know the story. And his timing was under God's providential care because he would be preparing the way for the Messiah. He'd be preparing the way for Jesus himself and his ministry. Perfect time. And of course, Paul, the author of this letter. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Paul wanted to hurt Christianity. He was zealous to hurt Christianity. But then an encounter with Jesus at the perfect time changed everything. Now he would build the church. He would plant and build the church. And then, of course, when we talk about time, this cannot escape us. When we talk about the fullness of time, we are talking about the life of Jesus. That is his birth, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension. We're talking about the whole thing. See, you can't break apart 
Jesus, his life. You can't just focus on the birth without looking at the death. You can't look at the death without focusing on the birth. You can't look at the death without focusing on the resurrection. It's all together. The fullness of time had come. But let's talk a little bit about culture because as humans, we want to figure things out. We want to figure things out. Do you want to know what was kind of going on during the time of Jesus' birth and his life? Well, it was a Roman world. It was a Roman empire. And there was a time of peace called the Pax Romano. It was the peace of Rome. And it was peaceful. The world was unified under Roman authority. And there was a relative peace among the entire empire. Now, This time of peace did some things. This time of peace allowed for safe travel. Roads were safer to travel. Do you want to know why? Because soldiers weren't out fighting wars. They were able to action, uh, excuse me, actively execute discipline. They were able to guard roads and and streets, making safer travel for all. Roman discipline basically was cutting out crime. That helped. Warfare being at a minimum, people could travel, such as missionaries, um, people of business, they could travel. And further distances, they could travel even further distances, resulting in the spread of the gospel. Because it was a clean palate, if you will, this land. So they could travel safely, which further spread the gospel. And I said, businesses were booming. Businesses were doing very well during this time. So even Christians Christian business people, they, as, as they traveled these safe roads, they could go further and further with their business and also spread the gospel. So opportunity was there. But something else, besides the safety at this time, there was something else. This time period allowed for the Greek language to become the common language. Now, Jesus spoke Aramaic and Hebrew. He also spoke Greek. There's many people that believe that. And there were many people that spoke Greek within the Roman Empire. So when I say it became the common language, I want you to think of it as English for us here in America. There is great diversity in America. But what is the common language? English. And it's becoming more and more the common language in other areas as well. So the Greek language allowed people to communicate to the furthest parts of the empire what was communicated even in Jerusalem. So... We have the Greek language, this common language, which made it easier for communication. It was also a time of religious tolerance. (laughs) Now, I use that loosely, but still, it was a time of religious tolerance, meaning religions could be practiced as long as it was not a threat to the Roman Empire. If a particular religion became a threat, then they would deal with that. But if not, it was tolerated. The problem... The problem, and this is, this is historical, these are historians reporting to us. Historians tell us, listen though, even though all these things were in place, you have the common language, you have the safety, you have the tolerance, we'll, we'll let you preach what you want to preach as long as it doesn't go against Rome. The problem is that it was still, the world itself, especially the Jews, it was still in the great expectation of a deliverer. Great expectation of a deliverer. You have to remember from the last prophet, it had been 400 years, guys, since God spoke. They were under the oppression of Roman authority. 
They were slowly losing their identity, although Caesar let them continue. You have to understand when you're under the oppression of other authority, you begin to start to think, well, I'm going to have to adapt to their rules, and they did. We're going to start losing our identity a little bit. And what will that look like in the future with our children, our grandchildren? So there was this great expectation. There was this waiting for a deliverer. There were old religions that were dying out. There were old philosophies that did nothing for anyone. They were powerless to change a life. People were spiritually hungry, and they were looking for something. And again, with these strange new religions coming into play, invading the empire, people grasped to those. We can read about those in Scripture anywhere you want. People grasp to things that they find hopeful. They grasp to things they think are, are correct. This will help me. This is right. So when Jesus was entering the world, that spiritual hunger was so great, right? The deliverer, the preparation, of, that's what God was doing. He was preparing, if you will, uh, the arrival of his son. It'd be like you and me starving to death. We're so hungry. And then your mom or your wife or your husband or whoever brings you this big plate of food, and you're like, here you go, eat. Oh, my goodness, yes. We dig in. This is what they wanted. They needed this deliverer. The world was ready. So when we talk about the expression of the fullness of time in Galatians 4.4, it refers to the time of the world that was providentially ready for the birth of the Savior. They were ready for the birth of the Savior. Now, I said all that, and to be honest with you, it does not matter what I just said. Just follow me for a second. Isaiah 55, 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Folks, we can speculate all day long about why this is when God wanted Jesus to come. Did God set the stage? Did he say, I want this to be the common language, I want safety, I'm going to stop war? God could have easily done that. Did God use what was happening in the time? Yes, God could have done that. I can tell you, till the cows come home, all the different things that were happening that made it possible for the spread of Christianity, for the spread of this movement, starting with one man. But I don't know. It's God's ways. It's his thoughts. That's why I told you my question is, hey, God, why then? Why then? Have you ever thought about it? Why not in the 1700s? Why not in the 2000s? Why was that the perfect time? We won't know till we get to heaven. We can look at all the cultural relevance. We can speculate. But I will tell you the one thing that's awesome. We get to celebrate looking back at a promise that was fulfilled. And that's why we're here today. We are celebrating this. So let me start with our text. Verse 3, you might be wondering, why would you start there within the same way? Because when you read the words in the same way, you realize that I have to go back. And I do. Look at verse 1. Chapter 4 of Galatians, verse 1, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. This is important. Look at verse 2. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And then verse 3, in the same way, Paul's relating us to this child that's under the management and guardian of others till the date is set. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. I've got to explain this text. 
First off, it's important to realize the churches in Galatia were made up of both Jew and Gentile. Jew and Gentile converts. And what was happening here, the reason Paul had to interject in this letter in the same way we were once enslaved is because there was a group that had come in that we called Judaizers. And basically, they were telling the Jewish people that you need to follow Mosaic law. They, didn't, they, weren't, they, weren't, they weren't exhibiting the grace and falling under the grace that Jesus had presented. They were saying, no, you still need to stick to the Mosaic law. And then they were telling the Gentiles, oh yeah, not only do you have to follow this, but you also have to be circumcised. And Paul is saying, no, we don't live under that law. We don't live under that law. We live under grace now. There is a new covenant that was brought forth by Jesus Christ. That's what we live under. And he's trying to explain this. So he's saying in the same way, guys, Jews, Gentiles, we were once, we were once enslaved. And that's why I want to start with verse 3, because it's important to understand that he is trying to reach an audience that is thoroughly confused now. Well, I, I, I remember the message you gave me, Paul. We believed it. But then these guys came in and said that we need to add this for this to be right, or we're in the wrong. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. No. In the same way. See, this child, this child, uh, Paul is reasoning, might be the heir to a fortune. Most likely is the heir to a fortune, a great inheritance. But as long as he or she has not reached the legal age, to take that position, right, to receive that inheritance, they are guided under management, managers, guardians. Therefore, they are just like slaves. They can't have that. They have to follow and obey the rules of their managers and the guardians. Even if this child will be the owner of everything, they have to mind who's been in place and in charge of them because the father has not set the date yet. So they're just like a slave. The Jews too. He's saying in the same way, in verse, what was it, three? In the same way we also, when we were children, like the children, like this child, we were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Now let me explain this. There's many, many uh, views to this. I believe the elementary principles of the world, if you read Galatians, is the law. It's the ritual, uh, ritualistic practices of the law. Because Paul spends a lot of time on that. But there are people who believe it's the, the elements, fire, earth, air, water. And they would assign deities to those that they would worship. Oh, I worship the deity of, of fire. Or deity of, and, and those are also elementary principles. But what we're looking at, if you take it all into consideration, it's the ritual, ritualistic practices of the world. Practices that fall under your effort? Are you keeping the law? Are you able to obey everything in the law? And Paul is saying, you're not under that. The law for you basically was religion 101. You were, losing, you were learning two plus two equals four. You were learning your ABCs. In fact, the law, what it was doing is it was actually bondage for you. The Mosaic system was more bondage because you couldn't live up to the law. You couldn't fulfill it. You couldn't obey it. You were in bondage to it. So he's saying to the Jews and Gentiles, why do you want to keep living like that? When grace has come, the fullness of time has come, you no longer live under that. You live under this. So 
the elementary principles of the world. The law had run its course, folks. It had its time. It ran its course. And I'm going to tell you right now, it was great because it prepared the way for Jesus. Just like John the Baptist prepared the way, the law was preparing the way for Christ. Christ was born at the right time. It's true. He was born in the right manner, right? Virgin, born of a virgin. We have the manger scene. We have all these prophecies that are being fulfilled. He was born in the right manner, and he was born for the right purpose. What is that purpose? To set us free. Jews and Gentiles were set free. Every single one of us has been set free. See, his death on the cross set the Jews free from their bondage to the law, their legalistic bondage. He set them free and opened the way to the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. His death on the cross that set the Gentiles free from their bondage, no matter who they were worshiping, what they were following, he set them free and opened the way for the fulfillment of the promises of Abraham. And ladies and gentlemen, his death on the cross set you and I free. We have been set free as well from our bondage, and each of us know our, own very, our very own lives. We know the sin that enslaved us. We know the way we lived in this world, the practices of this world that enslaved us. We have been set free from that bondage because the way has been opened for the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham. What does that mean? I love to use scripture to prove my point. As always, I want to do that. You're right there. Galatians 3. Everybody turn to Galatians 3. Look at verses 23 through 26. Galatians 3, 23 through 26. This is going to explain what we've just read in chapter 4. So look at verse 23. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law, imprisoned until the coming faith would be revealed. So then the law was our guardian until Christ came in order that we might be justified by faith. But now, verse 25, but now that faith has come. We are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are sons of God through faith. This text explains the first verse. Just like that child had to live under the guardianship and the management of others before he could take that position and receive that inheritance, the date set by his father, we too were enslaved just like that child. But faith came. If you're curious as to what does that mean, faith came, well, I'll go ahead and relate it. It's the fullness of time. It's Jesus Christ. It's the word becoming flesh, God living among us. The fullness of time had come. Faith had come. So we are no longer under a guardian because the date has been set. Jesus Christ has arrived. Now all, Jew and Gentile alike, can receive the promises that were made to Abraham going all the way back to Abraham. And you may say, but I'm not Jewish. I'm, I'm not from that bloodline. Well, you have to remember, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. So these verses in Galatians right now, they explain the first part of chapter four. But look, skip down to uh, 28 and 29, uh, chapter three. Galatians 3, 28 and 29. There is neither Jew 
nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I, I, I've been thinking about this verse. Paul's trying to relate all this confusion about Jews and Gentiles and what we got to do, what we got to do here. And Paul's like at the end, he's like, stop. None of that matters because we are all one in Christ Jesus. That's the fullness of time. That's Christmas. See, we don't understand a lot of times the promises of God, and that's okay. That's why we have the Bible. Whether you do it digitally or by paper, we have the Bible. The Bible explains it. And if you go back to the promises of Abraham, we fall under that. And it's not bloodline. It's not related to this. It's through faith. Because how was Abraham justified? Through faith. We are now heirs. So this is what's crazy for me. I was enslaved. And so were you. But because of what happened 2,000 years ago, I can look back to the promise. And all those that came before can look forward to that promise. And later on in the future, guess what? All these people can look back to the promise. Everything looks either forward, everybody looks forward or back to this one event in time, the fullness of time. And it changes everybody's lives. Why? Because we have been adopted. We have been made sons and daughters. We become children of God. And if you're a child of God, I'll say it again, you are an heir to the promise. You and I get to sit here today Hearing this message, a minute, a few minutes, we're gonna we're gonna leave, but we are always held by God as children of God. We belong to Him. You can't escape His clutches, folks. And what does this mean? It means you are an heir to everything that's promised in this world. It's what's coming to you. Your full inheritance is yours. The reward, the inheritance, the blessings, it all stems from God's love. And that's the fullness of time. When he talks about the fullness of time, that's what it is. God entering this world. And why? To set us free. And how did he do it? It says it in verse 4, I believe, redemption. The whole process of redemption we see in the Christmas story. And here Paul's using the Christmas story to explain why you don't listen to other religions. You don't listen to other teachings. The gospel is here. This is where we face. This is what we face. This is what we focus. This is what we live by. Not other teachings, not other religions. This one. Because there's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. And that is Jesus Christ, who came in the fullness of time. And that's what you and I are celebrating today. You and I are living lives that have been saved by the grace of God. We have been redeemed, we have been restored, we have been reconnected to our Father. We are living a life on this earth for now, for Him, until we enter into that full inheritance that belongs to us, that belongs to us because of God's love. Again, this is Christmas. I know there's people out there that are ho-ho-ho and Santa Claus brought this and Santa Claus brought that. But Christmas is the fact that a child was born, God himself bringing us peace between God and you, 
God in me, redeeming us in the fullness of time. It was perfect. He was not early. He was not late. It was the fullness of time, and it was perfect. And because of that fullness of time, we celebrate saved lives, our very own. That's Christmas, folks.